Welcome back, Dreadfuls. You're listening to another episode of Left for Dread, the horror podcast for everyone from newbies to fanatics. We are not a spoiler-free podcast, so make sure you've seen the movie or movies we're talking about. I'm one of your hosts, Rye. And I'm your other host, Chris. And lo and behold, Rye, we have a new guest host today, Rye, who is our special guest for a very, very special bonus episode. This bitch. I'm kidding. This particular human is one of my besties. Bitch was maid of honor at my wedding. I love her. Sarah. And for, and for the record, you are not kidding by bitch. So don't even try with me. <laughs> uh, Sarah, welcome to the show. And uh, we are, uh, we, we brought you on for a very special episode because uh, as we're recording this on a Sunday, a couple days from now, on Tuesday, May 26th, it is Dracula Day. So Sarah, what are we doing today? We're talking about vampires, dude. Yes, and uh, we have two very iconic vampire movies. Iconic for different reasons. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> correct. Uh, correct. We are reviewing Interview with a Vampire and Queen of the Damned based on the classic Anne Rice Vampire Chronicles. We're all vamping today. We are all pallid and complexion. We got some blood and uh, we we got some we got a blood transfusion pack. We're sipping on them like Capri Suns. So Sarah, welcome to the show. It's an honor to have you here. Yes, thanks. I, it's an honor to be on here. I'm, I'm very excited. I'm so excited you're here. Yay! <laughs> uh, so Sarah, I, I just want to start off the episode by uh, by asking you. Um, so what's your background in horror and what's your what's what, what are your accolades in regards to vampires like are, are you uh, a creature of the night are you a are you a vampire hunter uh, or you know a, a big fan just in general like i mean generally speaking i am a night creature uh insomnia will do that to you so i guess that makes me qualified <laughs> to talk about creatures of the night I mean, I've been pretty into vampire movies and lore since I was a teenager and since I knew those were a thing. Just generally being a nerd, I also really enjoy gothic literature in general. So my youth was spent on a lot of Edgar Allan Poe, pretty much anything else I can get my hands on. Um, Ryan was very generous a few years ago by introducing me to Carmilla, which I didn't even know was a thing. And I ate that up uh, several times. Yeah. yeah so. <laughs> Who doesn't uh, yeah. need lesbian vampires in their lives? Because I know I need more. Oh, I mean, even Carmilla wasn't enough. Like, come I on know. now. Uh, you know, it's it's like lesbian light. And even then it's considered the sin. So what the yeah. hell, man? But uh, yeah, so that's, I guess those are my my qualifications i'm very pleased to have you here we're all creatures of the night i know these i think these are these are right uh take us away for any for anyone who has not watched these films before just to let you know uh, we're, we're gonna be spoiling the hell out of it so if you haven't uh, watched it yet please pause right now <laughs> last chance last chance okay uh we're past the no point of no return right take it away so part of the reason why uh, we decided to do Interview in Queen of the Damned for this particular episode is because very recently, after Hulu dropped the Vampire Chronicles as an adaptation, AMC just purchased the rights to The Witching Hour and The Vampire Chronicles, which isn't just Interview with the Vampire and Queen of the Damned. It's I think there are four books that sort of, you know, encase all of that, and then the Mayfair Witches, I believe those are three books, which I've never read. So 
because of that, we thought it would be a really great idea to do Interview with the Vampire and Queen of the Damned. Both iconic, as Chris said, but for very different reasons that we're going to get into. So your synopsis, just like real quick for Interview with the Vampire, is a vampire tells his epic life story, love, betrayal, loneliness, and hunger. So terribly dramatic. Just like Louis. <laughs> Just oh, like... <laughs> very dark, very dramatic. And then Queen of Queen of the Damned, this has to be accurate and hilarious at the same time. In this loose sequel to Interview with the Vampire, the va- <laughs> the vampire Lestat becomes a rock star whose music wakes up the equally beautiful and monstrous queen of all vampires. The key word in that synopsis is loose. Yes, it's, it's very so I, loose. So you two are far more knowledgeable about Anne Rice and and um, you know these movies than I am. So obviously, I think the the novels obviously they're more connected. But I felt like Queen of the Damned like very very lightly touched upon the canon that was established in interviewing the vampire. So are they meant to be the same canon? Because like it Queen of the Damned played the canon very loose. I felt like because uh, I watched these back to back like uh, like uh, in a marathon, so I felt Queen of the Dam was a little bit disjointed. I felt like kind of ignored a lot of the. I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a much different tone. This is a vampire movie for the MTV generation, mm-hmm. um, but I just felt like it. it I, I I I'm not sure if this is supposed to be like all closely knit together or Queen of the Dam, which is it just happened to be within the the, the orbit, um, and it wasn't trying to be holding or trying to be quote-unquote true sequel to uh interview with a vampire what uh is that is that what what are you I guess i'm trying to sort this out basically the fans are still trying to, to yeah, sure. sort that out too <laughs> yeah well i think it's important to note too that Anne rice only has screenwriting credits for interview with the vampire um in queen of the damned i mean she's given a writer credit obviously because she wrote the novel but the screenwriter credit isn't isn't hers um, so that might add to why you feel it's a little bit disjointed, uh, because it was a different person doing the screenplay, whereas had I would have been interested to see what would have happened if Anne Rice actually wrote the screenplay for both. We might have had two different movies. We probably would have had two different movies, but also even even now, Anne Rice has sort of um, backtracked on some of the stuff that she said initially, when even when Interview with the Vampire was being filmed. That movie took 20 years to be made, for starters. Really? Yeah. Because the book was published in 1976, and the movie didn't come out until 1994. So it took a a long time. And it started out as a short story that she then, like, put away for a couple of years and then came back and expanded on this universe and became a beloved novel and a really awesome film. But... There were a couple, the, some of the actors that worked on the movie, um, I learned, like, much to my sadness, did not like working on this movie. Mainly Brad Pitt. Really? Or like, like, was this because of the source material or just how the production went? Or was Both. like, oh, okay. So he hated the wig. He hated having to work the nights that he did. He says that the one good thing that came out of working on this movie was it it formed his love for new orleans because he got to be because they filmed on location and that's awesome i understand loving new orleans very very much it's part of my attraction to this movie i think has a lot to do with it but 
speaking to why he hated the source material, they changed everything that he loved about Louis, the character in the book. So it seems that Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt both read the book in order to do the movie, which I think is great. When Brad Pitt received a copy of the script, everything that he loved about Louis and that was so present with Louis as a character was completely gone out of the script when he got it. Even with Anne Rice writing this movie, it's still totally different, which is why I'm kind of excited for the AMC adaptation. They've done some dark stuff, so I'm curious to see how they handle this and if we're going to get something that's a little bit more faithful to the novel. It will be interesting to see. Um, you know, and, and it's funny that Brad didn't enjoy it because of the treatment of Louis' character. I mean, because I feel like that's usually everyone's problem with any kind of adaptation is if um, any part of it isn't exactly what you want it to be or what you were expecting. It, you know, doing adaptations is really challenging because you can't, you can't do the source material. Movies and novels are com two completely different mediums. They both accomplish two completely different things. So it's not like you can just make a movie of a book and expect it to have the same effect as the book did. So it's a really delicate balance of trying to do that story and still tell a good story, but in a completely different medium. And unfortunately, you kind of have to kill your darlings when you do that. Oh, 100%. I just thought that it was interesting listening to Tom Cruise because I watched the behind the scenes. They did like a, a quick little um, short called In the Shadow of the Vampire. And it was talking about the making of the movie. And mm. um, there's a great interview with Tom Cruise where he was saying how Interview with the Vampire is all from Louis' perspective. And he found himself reading it, trying to piece together who Lestat was based on the little bits and pieces he got from Louis. If you watch Interview with the Vampire, it's like an old married couple squabbling throughout the centuries for the first half of the movie. So it's really, it's about his relationship with Lestat. It is not about Louis, which is what the book was. So I can understand as an actor, like getting really frustrated, like falling in love with such like romanticized vampire literature and then getting a script and going what the fuck is this shit totally N not saying he wasn't justified in being upset at all um it's just one of those things where unfortunately it's kind of hard to satisfy everyone when you do mm -hmm. write adaptations um but that could be its own episode oh yeah we could we could go into a whole thing about book adaptations and musicals which side note <laughs> this was kind of oh wait oh real wow in 2005, a, a rock was, opera. Yeah. <laughs> in 2005, there was a musical called Lestat with the music done by Elton John. No way. There sure was. Wow. It was very short lived. But I checked, very short lived. Very short lived. But I checked the whole like synopsis, like the whole rundown of Lestat the musical, and it's kind of like it's the beginning of Lestat's life, and then Vampire Lestat, and then there's a little bit of interview with the vampire in there, and then. That's it. <laughs> I I honestly don't know what they did. <laughs> that I don't think anyone knows what they did. That show was terrible. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that could also like be its be its own episode too. Um, yeah, but yeah, let's let's dive into the utter queerness of Neil Jordan's interview <sighs> with the vampire and how fucking homoerotic 
this movie is because isn't that I mean that's that's uh isn't that like Anne Rice's major um contribution to like the gothic literature and, and vampire lore because I I feel like I I I again I've never read the books but uh, I I repeatedly hear that her depiction of vampires are, are like overly sensual, very emotional, uh, lots of homoerotic undertones. Uh, is that accurate, or or was the this film portrayal is was that was that something that fed back and affected Anne Rice's writings later on? Like I, what are your thoughts on that? Well, homoeroticism in vampire literature isn't new. Um, that's a pretty common thread, um, probably, I mean, I'm just kind of guessing here, probably dating to 19th century when um, that that genre started to really pick up in at least English literature uh, for folks. So, I mean, Carmilla, as by way of example, is entirely homoerotic under and overtones. Um, and also just Gothic vampire literature in general, unfortunately, really uh, leaned into the stereotype that old gay men prey on the youth. That's its own thing. And again, that is its own episode. So what Anne Rice was doing, at least with homoeroticism, isn't new. But I think certainly her portrayal, her very complex portrayal of vampires as being more than just villains, but complex creatures with, or people really, with issues and coping mechanisms and trying to navigate the world in their own way, which in itself is more human than maybe they want to give themselves credit for, is definitely very much an Anne Rice contribution to the whole the whole thing. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Ryan, I don't know if you agree or disagree. No, no, I, I agree with that. I think that any sort of queer undertones that you get from the portrayal that you see on screen, I think has a lot to do with Neil Jordan as a director and the way he chose to do this movie but i think the other thing is anne rice also i and i know this for a fact she went after people who wrote fan fiction about lestat and louis she doesn't like the slash fiction that occurs between those two characters she doesn't approve of it she would go after these young writers who were doing this as fans because it's how they felt and it's what they wanted more of and she went after them and got their stories shut down oh that's harsh and yeah, yeah. So I don't, I know she doesn't, she doesn't approve of the slash fiction that occurs between the two of them. And I know that in Shadow of the Vampire, when they were, when she was being asked how she felt about this movie, she said one, actually, I have the quote here. She said, one of the genius qualities to this film is Neil Jordan was so bold in pursuing that theme that they really are evil, meaning vampires. She didn't say anything about what Sarah said. So I think any contribution that Anne Rice has made to help us view vampires that way was completely unintentional. Mm-hmm. I think Same. she really does see them as like evil blood sucking creatures. That's so odd because mm-hmm. like the subtext is so in your face there. Yeah. I mean, <sighs> she wrote she wrote this at a time in her life when she was still identifying as atheist. She wrote Claudia because she lost her daughter at a very young age. Yes. So all of these things that, that sort of make the book what it is, I feel like she's kind of 
turned like not turned her back on it necessarily but that's not really what she thinks like like i said she was writing this from a perspective of an atheist she still has gone back she, she has since gone back to her belief in catholicism um but christopher rice her 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 son is openly gay and and there's no malice between them they co-wrote books together and and there's obviously like I don't think she bears any ill will towards any member of the LGBT community. I just don't think it was her intention when she, when she did this. Interesting. It was like an unintended side effect of, of the book and then the movie. Okay. Don't I did not know though. about that interview. So good to know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say that still love her. But uh, yeah, I think it was an un unintended side effect of, of all of this. Interesting. I'll just stick my foot in my mouth now. <laughs> it's, no, that okay. There we go. This is actually my first time watching Interview with a Vampire. I, shocked. I, 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 shocked. I know. I'm, I know. So I'm, I've seen Queen of the Damned before. Um, <laughs> so watching this film, like I was so captivated and drawn. Uh, it it stirred up feelings because like this is like Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, like. <sighs> in their in their prime and they're like they're just oozing with sexuality and i mean i love i love stuff that just gets so extra and so melodramatic and it's just a centuries long soap opera and i ate it all up and you know that's uh that's a credit to ann rice and this and the all the all the team um all the talent like i was blown away by uh the by very very young Kirsten Dunst I didn't know she won uh, an academy award or uh, an oscar for this and she crushed the hell of it I've never seen her like so so full of emotion and like like she was equal parts charming and psychotic and I was like holy shit I, I don't know I, I feel like she was like maybe what, like 12 or 13 years old when she was She was 11 11 Her agent actually made her redo her audition why so, do we know? Actually, I do. Keep talking. That's okay. So I mean, so though that was my first impressions. Like I thoroughly enjoyed this film. Um, I I would. Uh, I'm curious to hear. Like, what do you remember your first time watching this film and your initial reactions to it? Oh yeah, I was a teenager when I first uh, watched this, and um, it it blew me away. I think it was. It wasn't the first vampire movie I watched, but it was definitely one of the first, and it blew me away. I, it was one of those movies that I continued watching over and over again, um, pretty much right after I saw it the first time. It just I couldn't get enough of it, and so re and but I haven't watched it again in years. I think the last time I saw it was several years ago, so watching it now. Uh, was a very different experience. I still enjoyed it, um, but there were a lot of things that came out to me. It's like, oh, okay, I didn't notice that before. Uh, Ryan, did you have a similar feeling when you rewatched this? Only after I was started talking to you while you were texting me while we were both watching this, because I Interview with the Vampire was one of those movies that I continuously watch, and Queen of the Damned too. I will put them on both. I will put them both on back to back. And I watch these movies, I'll say maybe two to three times a year, maybe more, depending on my mood. I have never, there, there's never been a year that has gone by where I haven't seen Interview or Queen of the Damned at least once that year. 
it it's just it's familiar i know those movies by heart i can very comfortably put them on in the background knowing they're not going to distract me the only time i will stop whatever i'm doing and rewatch a scene from interview with the vampire is when tom cruise is dancing around with a corpse singing in italian yeah. <laughs> like that is just, just old life in these old fucking gold <laughs> exactly it is gold. right it's fucking comedy gold and that that's the only thing where I'll just be like, wait, nope, this is it. Uh, okay. And I just, I, I keep doing what I'm doing. So yeah, I think there were things where I just sort of like in the back of my mind, I'm sure I recognize that they were there, but you like shattered the ceiling for me, Sarah, while I was talking to you about this, because I've seen it so many times. Like there are things that you, that you know are there, but you're not really like sitting there like allowing yourself to register while you watch it. And that's exactly what happens every time I watch this movie. You can recognize that there are parts of it that are sexist and racist and a little bit problematic, but you, you know, you just, you don't gloss over them out of ignorance. You gloss over them. They're like, all right, yeah, sure. And I'm not going to harp on this because I know it's there, <laughs> but you, you pointed it out to me and I was like, well, fuck now I can't unsee this. You're welcome. <laughs> fuck. Yeah. yeah. No. I, I think just because it had been so long since I watched either of these movies, it, it put some distance. So I was able to kind of see it with fresh eyes. Um, so definitely the really piss poor treatment of black folks in both movies uh, really was a punch in the gut for me. Cause I was like, Oh, that really did not age. Well, I don't remember any of this. And yet there it is on a platter right there. And I mean, yeah, neither movie passes the Bechdel test either, if you really want to go into it. But I mean, there was still that really, you know, there was still that nostalgic feel to it because I had watched both of these, just like you, Ryan, back to back over and over again in my, you know, in my youth. Um, so it's just this really weird dichotomy of, oh, I'm an adult now and I'm understanding certain things you know, certain things about this movie are a little bit more striking to me now than they were when I was younger and a bit more naive, but also crap. I still enjoy these movies. Yeah. I think the point where it really hit me wasn't necessarily at the beginning on the, in, during the plantation scenes, because those scenes you've seen over and over again in movies. And I'm not, def I'm not trying to come off like I'm defending it, but like, I, I get it. The one place where it really fucking hit me where I was like, Ooh, Mm, that part didn't age well was when they come back to the French Quarter, the three of them, and Claudia is staring at a Creole woman having a bath. And Lestat says, that's pure old fashioned Creole. Count on Claudia to have found her. And this is supposed to be after the Americans have come into New Orleans. And it's a totally different place than than the New Orleans that Louis and Lestat left originally. So that little and I don't it doesn't age well, but you know what? It shouldn't. It shouldn't. No. So it, if it, I think we can almost sort of count it as a success that the systematic racism that the movie so clearly has in, in it still makes us uncomfortable now, which it fucking should. We're not yes, going to get it. Into, we're not trying to get political here, but it is, it is an aspect of the movie that we should at the very least acknowledge it definitely should be acknowledged. Yeah, it's uh, I, there's this one particular scene, and uh, that kind of remind that reminds me of my my other love for like I love like H.P. Lovecraft, uh, and like yeah, he's mm. great, but he was problematic. 
mm-hmm. especially in terms of race. And there was this one scene that I I felt like it kind of resonated with me in that similar. It was like, oh, this is not good. This is one scene where the slaves are clearly suspicious that they're vampires and they're doing this ritual hoodoo voodoo scene. It was like, oh no, no, please, that I, uh, and I was like, I was surprised because like I, that this movie came out what like nineteen ninety four, and I mean I know it was trying to be quote unquote like historical, but that was like no, this is not right. I <laughs> so that 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 made me pretty uncomfortable when watching that. Section. Considering the fact that the next like quote unquote people of color you see are two Hispanic actors very very late in the movie and you yep. don't e- and they don't even get that much screen time after that um do we want to go back to why kirsten dunst was uh asked to oh, why redo she her did interview? it again yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. so her her casting agent uh she came out it's it's sort of presumed that she didn't do well the first time so he basically looked at her and was like go back in there apologize to the casting director and do it again Wait, wait, and she got the role after that. So apologize. Wait, what happened? Mm, Like, I didn't do the best job I could do. Let me show you what I can actually do. And she's a young child during all of this. So, like, that must have been traumatic as fuck for her. But yeah, so her her casting agent made her go back in there and do it again. And and she got the part. So they were impressed with something that that she did. I think my other thing is um, Christian Slater, who plays the reporter, was recast. So initially that role was supposed to be River Phoenix, but he died. So they cast Christian Slater instead. Uh, I was reading trivia that um, Tom Hanks was being considered as Lestat. Ew. <laughs> Ew. Uh, Ew. As well as Johnny Depp. Uh, so Also, well- Ew, No. So if we lived in an alternate reality, this Collins <laughs> for what that movie was, he was fine. However, <laughs> I don't think it would have been nearly as successful. I think the most interesting, like casting tidbit that I found was that there was some small consideration for a very short time of doing a gender bent Lestat and Louis. So it would have oh, been wow. two females. Oh, instead. really? Cool. And one, and it was going to be. Um, Cher and Angelica Houston. Huh. Watch that. I, I don't Cher know. Cher be a vampire. But Angelica Houston, yes, that's Morticia. I'll I'll do that. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I mean Cher I don't know what I would have expected out of it, but I would have watched it anyway just to see it. Why not? It's yeah, it's Cher. Yeah. It's Cher. Let's do this. Yeah. That's also another interesting option that they could do that AMC could do for this new reboot of the vampire chronicles but that does sort of stray away from maintaining the faithfulness to the book whatever i'll take either i mean you always run that risk when you're trying to adapt something into a new medium or just make it gayer again (laughs) it's really all i want (laughs) make it gayer okay yes yes (laughs) don't be pansies make it gayer um, yeah, that's really all I can uh, ask for it. for this new reboot. Just make it gear, guys. AMC, make it gear. Please. No one will get mad. It'll be fine. There's something in it for everyone. Mm-hmm. I like that also Anne Rice 
completely disapproved of Tom Cruise being cast as Lestat. Really? Wait, she did. How, how, did, how did they? How, wow. Well, she but when she walked it back a couple of years after the fact, she was like, nope, I was wrong. I made a mistake. She thought it was an odd choice. Those are her exact words. Odd or interesting, I believe, is what she said. You know, when people use interesting as, like, not a good way to describe something, they're like, oh, that's interesting. Like, they're trying to be nice and they can't think of anything else to say. In, sure, it might have been a very different role than what he usually would get cast as, but damn, it was perfect. I, I Another a, a fun piece of trivia I thought was great was... Um... Oprah Winfrey was watching this movie and she walked out after the first 10 minutes and then she was so distraught and disturbed by what she saw she was considering like not having Tom Cruise on ever on her show because <laughs> just... she thought the movie was too gory yeah Oprah! damn it woman! And, <laughs> and then, uh, she, then, then she had a quote um where she's saying like i'm here to promote good and not spread evil and this movie is pure evil <laughs> it's like oh no oprah <laughs> fuck oh, out of here oh jeez. well never said vampires were good people that's true they're just they're not even really know. people that's that's no. like that's one of louis's first lines i'm flesh and blood but i'm not human mm-hmm. right ah but still flesh and blood and very imperfect. Correct. I mean, even uh, even the way they... Tr- I mean, so here's, the, here's a big sort of inconsistency slash consistency that really irked me throughout both of these movies is the way they deal with their own mortality and loneliness and how each of them react to it. You've, you see Lestat in Interview with the Vampire reacting one way and you see Lestat in Queen of the Damned acting a very different way. Um... He's very angsty in Queen of the Damned, and and it sort of feels like he's more like Louis, like clinging on to his mortality, despite being taught the contrary. At least that's how he's phrasing it in Queen of the Damned. And I'll 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 get back to that once we start talking about Queen of the Damned, because there is a moment where I was watching this and I was like, it's it it's almost like Stuart Townsend didn't watch the first movie and didn't read the book because the way he's choosing to react is not the way Tom Cruise Lestat would have reacted. And I, I felt like, I felt like the last character, which is very inconsistent and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Queen of the Dead. And we'll get into that. We'll get into I, that. I, but um, I mean, I also feel like they were both written very differently too, but that's for when we get into Queen of the Dead. So interview of the vampire sort of starts out interview setting. Um, very very literal interview with the vampire christian slater is the reporter he sits down and he and 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 brad pitt starts talking about his life and starts from uh, he uh, his birth into darkness as as he puts it very dramatic <laughs> like like very very <laughs> dramatic louis which is why one of my favorite bits is at the end of the movie where Lestat's like are you still whining about all this shit after oh, i've heard this for 200 years uh. <laughs> yeah. i've been listening to this for centuries like uh-huh. <laughs> they're both two very like melodramatic teenagers in this whole thing the one thing and again i think this highlights like the queerness of the way they're represented on screen is that no one bats an eyelash of these two very elegantly dressed well-off men and their child that's a girl that they both that all three of them live under like no one bats an eyelash nope like 
beautiful Tom Cruise with his curly hair that he like sits there with the cane and the puffy sleeves and his beautiful curly blonde haired daughter just sits there and plays the piano and then they eat the entire family. It's it's great. It's family bonding time. I understand it. But nobody bats an eyelash that two men and a very small child are all living together throughout I the centuries. It's so beautiful. And it, it, it just underlines like there's this very, there's like this dry, dark humor underneath all of it. And it's just like, it just makes you think. It's like, oh, this is, I know this is supposed to be a drama, it's supposed to be horror, but like there's, there's so many funny moments. There's plenty of drama. They're both <laughs> super dramatic. The one, the one thing that that seeing this movie at a very early age did to me, and this just says wonders about my morbid sensibilities, is that I saw Claudia's coffin as like a wee child, and I was like, I want one. I want one. I want one to sleep in. <laughs> <laughs> I want the wee did. coffin to sleep in. Forget the baby doll bullshit. But I, I wanted a coffin to sleep in when I was a child. <laughs> right. Right. Claudia. Right, uh, we we are adults. We can still get coffins right now. <laughs> we're in the middle of a pandemic. I feel like we shouldn't do that right now. Uh, Let's like, not be wait. in the best of taste. All right, we'll, we'll do a compromise. We'll do what they did on set. We'll hang upside down for thirty minutes, so all the blood rushes to our head, and then we apply makeup because that's what they did every single time they had to put makeup, which yep. is insane. My <laughs> <laughs> <I> God. <laughs> I mean, we could also just order a coffin and turn it into a bookshelf. Ryan, why haven't you done this yet? I'm not allowed. <laughs> Tom would <laughs> kill me. <laughs> Damn it, Tom. It's, it's also kind of hard to do in the space that we have. This is Okay, we're, I'll get into that later. Um, it is a goal of mine. I do want to do that. I do want like a coffin bookshelf. What, what, Tom, what's please the don't term? To it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Uh, I already do that a lot. I have a lot of like questionable art <laughs> that's like around the house that I don't hang up. No, you no, let it let it fly. <laughs> as we saw after Comic Con, like I bought a giant movie poster signed by John Carpenter that we now have no place to put. So like, right? right. What would Lestat do? Lestat would just uh, he would just. Be extra, he would be extravagant, he would indulge in every indulgence and just put Lestat it on the wall. Lestat would have eaten Tom by now. That too. <laughs> he would have eaten him and been like, do whatever the fuck you want. Because and that's and I think that that is also and 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 Louis makes a point of like highlighting this in in his discussion with Christian Slater. He Lestat bends to every whim that Claudia has, and he lets her get away with literal murder because she has his appetite for killing and Louis does not. He even forgives her for killing the piano teacher and the seamstress, which is also a brilliantly funny scene where he was like, what have I told you about doing this? And he was like, she was like, never in the house. And he was like, all right. And then, you know, I'll, I'll finish off the lesson. And they just scooch the, the corpse off of the piano bench and just like have a beautiful moment together. So yeah, Lestat's real extra, guys. Yeah, and that follows up like it's um that, that there's that scene where uh, uh Kirsten Dunst or Claudia has that freak out because she she realizes she's forever a child, and then they and then um Lestat gets more angry at the fact that she has the Creole woman just just rotting it in a room more than anything, and it's like your priorities are out of order. Like you you. 
Like, your your daughter is having an existential crisis, but you're more concerned about the rotting corpse in, in the house. But like, that's, and that also ties into a very real, like, nature versus nurture discussion. So she's got two dads, both of, let's just call it what it is, she has two dads. And he even says to her, you're mine and Louie's daughter now. And again, no one bats a fucking eyelash. Um, but Louie struggles with his morality of his immortality and that's his whole journey throughout all of this and even by the end it doesn't seem like he's really coped with it like he does what he has to do to survive but he doesn't like what he does he disagrees with it and Lestat will indiscriminately as he puts it the way God kills he'll just indiscriminately kill whoever the fuck he wants because he can and he was created for that purpose and he loves it and he relishes it she's having an existential crisis and it's very, it's very much like a reaction, like what Louis would have. And Louis had his own little existential crisis. He ate rats and poodles and and chickens instead of eating people. That's, I think, that also is what pisses him off too. He even says, like, you grow more and more like Louis every day. Soon you'll be eating rats. He's trying to avoid. He tried so hard to like avoid her having this existential crisis by trying to keep her a child by giving her dolls every year on her birthday and 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 it's a form of control and manipulation it's all it's like vampiric gaslighting if you will yeah and and i think too that the thing to keep about keep in mind at least with, with this version of lestat is he's very superficial and is extremely concerned with image and his own beauty and beauty in general and making sure that he is attractive in every possible capacity um so by keeping a dead corpse in a very highly decorated room that also conflicts with what he believes to be a good image so i think he's just become so i mean like you said ryan he's very fed up with with louis constant state of emotion doesn't want claudia to get that either but then also on top of it the fact that there's a rotting corpse in her very very well decorated bedroom i think also kind of sets him off because that's his priority um is his own beauty even at the end of the movie that's he that's what he's still harping on is the fact that he's not desirable anymore um because he's basically a, a he's basically a corpse I think that little bit of character also feeds into how he handles that freak out, which he doesn't handle it at all. Um, like you said, he just tries to gaslight it. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, 100%. And I know that people talk about Kristen Dunst's performance because the complexity and range that she shows at such a young age for a character like Claudia, she is 11. She hasn't done anything in life. She hasn't really had a life experience yet. She had her first kiss ever on set with Brad Pitt at 11 years old. Ugh. In that scene, even in the scene, she calls, she says, my father, my Louis, as if there is a stronger attraction other than a father-daughter relationship there. Although I'm there's sure... a specific line where she says, like, Louis, you're my father, my mother, my lover. And it's like, oh, that's... Yeah. That's... It's complicated. All of yes. that in this tiny girl that Kirsten Dunst manages to portray with an amazing ease that I am still shocked by. Like, I still watch that and I'm still blown away by her performance. 
because she wraps all of these things up and she does them so well and so beautifully. Just, ugh, so good. Yeah, I mean, considering her age, that the, the performance is spectacular. I still cringe every single time the kiss scene comes up. Of course. Like, I, I do the opposite of what do you do, right? I just turn the screen away like, oh, nope, we're not watching that. And now we're yeah, back. Yeah, it's, it's, it's cringeworthy, but especially considering the fact that you have this moment of like, this is my father, my mother, my creator, and and my Louis, my my everything. And he has just made her a life companion. And then they all get taken away, and and Claudia and her new mom get burnt to death. Yep. <laughs> so like, there's there's some there's some bookends to all to all of that. Again, I think the way this movie was handled was so elegant and and very much I think at a sur- on a surface level the way the book was written it was meant to be not overly romanticized but this like romantic elegant tale of of all of this sh- of just like it- immortality and it was beautiful. Queen yeah. of the Damned not so much that is a punk rock angsty bullshit scene that we'll get to i still yes, have feelings about that of a different variety <laughs> but you know it's yeah, okay. but, yeah but i think elegant is the absolute perfect word for um interview with a vampire it, it is very elegant but elegant doesn't necessarily have to mean beautiful all the all the time it's still very dark um which is what gothic is it's elegant but also horrendous so I, I think yeah that is that that is the movie yeah this movie just checks so so many boxes and i think that so chris and i talk about this a lot on multiple episodes how we sort of prefer practical effects to cgi effects and i think one of my favorite practical effects is the fully animatronic lestat that they use on this in on the scene in the living room after Claudia cuts Lestat's neck, once that body hits the ground, it is no longer Tom Cruise. It is 150% animatronic. And I still and I know that and I still have a hard time being able to tell until the very end where they do that one close up and you can kind of tell. But I'm I'm blown the fuck away that they accomplished all of that shit with practical effects in the 90s. It's because they had the talent of Stan Winston. Stan Winston is like an expert at like CGI, or not, I'm sorry, like CGI, yes, but like animatronics, practical effects, makeup. I mean, um, the director, uh, he had some uh, apprehensions on bringing on Winston because uh, he, at the, uh, around that time, he had a giant reputation of following for specializing in much much larger large scale animatronics and cgi specifically with like jurassic park and terminator 2 interview with the vampire yes there was animatronics but it was it was more like makeup it was a it was something of a of a smaller scale quote unquote but like winston knocked out of the part like his list of accolades uh, is just as long as you can number like he's done so many films like for example like predator I'm pretty sure he, oh, Edward Scissorhands, Iron Man, uh, Jurassic Parks, Aliens, all, all, all this giant list. Um, so I think, I think the director made the right call. I've, he would, would have been crazy to 
pass on anyone else besides Stan Winston. So, uh, and it just worked out great. Um, the makeup and like it, just like especially with all the moody close-up shots you get of like Brad Pitt. Um, actually, the, that piece of trivia where they were are hanging upside down, they did that so they can accentuate the effects of all the veins in their in their heads. That was like the main reason why they were doing that. It's like holy shit, that Winston, yes, you're a genius. What I think yeah. I like the most about the way they did their makeup is that they almost look like they're made out of stone. They look like polished marble. Like porcelain dolls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the porcelain dolls that Claudia gets every year on her birthday. And it was sort of, it also does something to you when you watch their transformation and just watch everything sort of freeze underneath their skin like stone their veins freeze in place everything just sort of stops moving because there's no they're not really a lot they're not alive so everything stops in motion and when louis transforms into a vampire and he starts walking through the cemetery and he reaches that stone angel and it's like it's watching him that's sort of the way they 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 look to us in a way like unmoving but they're they're still watching you and it's what makes them so beautiful to look at and it's it's part of what louis almost, like really like hates about himself and it's what he says to who ends up becoming claudia's mom like how do we seem to you beautiful our pale skin our fierce eyes do you have any idea what you're going to what you're going to turn into if i do this for you and i just i think i think watching that and 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 comparing it to the literal statues that we see in Queen of the Damned, I think, unintentional or intentional, I don't give a fuck. It, oh, it's it's definitely intentional. Although I feel like they mirror each other beautifully. And yeah, the, there's something there's something to be said for the for the way that they portray vampires in both of these movies. That one of them sort of like out cheeses the other. Like, they use sound effects to indicate how quickly Brad Pitt was moving, but you never really see it. Whereas in Queen of the Dam, they use that, like, flutter motion where you can hear it, but you also see, like, the trail that the person leaves. I couldn't take it seriously. It's, like, really bad CGI and really yep. bad wire foo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the whole thing with the eyes that I don't mm-hmm. quite understand. How they like super dilate, like they've just had more weed that could possibly be consumed by a human person. Like, but just... not just that. It's sort of like when the light hits them, it's like a, it's like a cat. Yes. Like when you shine a flashlight on a cat and their eyes make them look demonic. It's or like when you take a picture of someone with a di- with like weird like me and their eyes turn red. It's kind of like that. So I, well, I think that's like... a perfect. I think it's a perfect uh, allegory of what Queen of the Damned is. It's just. It's just, it's, it's, just it's trying so hard. It's like they're trying oh, to okay. up all the effects. <laughs> they're trying so hard. Uh, we we need we need we need all the extra heavy metal goth rock. We need we need disturbed. We need corn. We need flashy sound effects, even though we, or flashy CGI, even though it's not they're not really good effects. But they're trying. They're trying so hard, and it's, I love it. It's sort yeah. of like because at the time, so at the time in the '90s when this was made grunge was very much like a thing and and yet this movie is sort of stuck to to its old-fashioned nature and and they made vampires like not sexy and attractive and not like but they made them beautiful and they made them sensual and it made you crave a different sort of lifestyle 
that you obviously can't go back to because you're already at the point in time when this was being released. Uh, so almost nostal also sort of nostalgic in, in a way, I, I guess. But then when you watch Queen of the Damned, which was released in 2002, vampire lore from the 90s until 2002 had changed drastically. There were so many different, there were so many other things that had come out between that. And it was sort of like they wanted to take the bare bones minimum of what made Interview with the Vampire successful in their portrayal and sort of hint at it and then mix it with everything else that had sort of come into play in the lore and in the scene since then. And they integrated all of that into one movie. And it's why you can't take it seriously when you look at them because you're like, settle on some stereotypes and fucking deal with it. The or settle on some storylines. Like, I. Or yeah. that. Yes. Or that. Like, or I character development get... for that matter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the one consistent thing was that Lestat can still fly in both movies. True. Mm -hmm. True. He lost the ability to read minds. Apparently. But that's okay. But he can still fucking fly because, you know, of all the things to just keep when you're talking about the outrageousness of the of the supernatural is is flying. Of course. Yes. <laughs> uh, this this movie is actually a PSA of why rock and roll is the work of Satan. And because <laughs> if you play rock yeah. and roll, you're gonna summon vampire queens and, and it's 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 great. That will rip your heart out and and burn wherever you are to the ground. So Sound my like personal my impressions. I had, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I uh, plead the fifth. As <laughs> <laughs> do uh, I, if anyone asks me that question. <laughs> as does Chris. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I haven't seen this movie in like literally forever, and. It was it was very strange. Like it, I, this is not Queen of the Dam. Like, on my hot take, it was not a good movie. Um, I found myself I found myself like looking at the clock. Okay, is this movie over? Especially, like, I felt like this this movie is shorter. It's shorter than Interview with a Vampire, but like it it didn't captivate my interest throughout as consistently as Interview with a Vampire. I mean, it's not a good movie, but I did enjoy it because like, it has, it's a spectacle, but it's not elegant as interview. And it's just, it's just flashy. It's eye candy. And it's just, there's, they're trying so much with like skin tight leather and, and like London, UK punk outfits and like yeah, so I know. much Everything nine nail grunting like, music. Everything little heart beat faster in 2002. There is something to be said about pale ass Stuart Townsend with almost no body hair whatsoever, which was fine by me, in leather or pleather, whatever. Don't give a shit. That is like that a is plaid dress that Jesse wears kills me every time. <laughs> Here's the thing. If when I was younger and I was watching Interview with the Vampire, I just wanted to exist. I wanted I think the difference is. And this can speak a lot to writing styles and the way vampires are portrayed on screen and, and on paper. When you watch Interview with the Vampire, you don't necessarily like get this feeling to like be with either one of them, but you want to be with them 
experiencing what they're experiencing. You want to be in that world because of the way it's presented, whether you're living life to the fullest like Lestat, or you're just miserably sulk and sulking through the centuries, or you're like Armand and you want to experience life as as well as you can with the people that you surround yourself with. Now, I do think that Armand is problematic in his own way, but I'll I'll come back to that. Antonio Banderas, though, he, that hair, that hair. I mean, I was I'm like, I was there. like, damn, Antonio, you look fine. But I'm getting there. Um, <laughs> I just, I just think that that interview with the vampire creates a, a thing, a, 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 an environment that you want to be a part of. You want to experience it with them. So, like. Louis gets mad at Christian Slater for asking him to turn him at the end of the movie. Like, you're not empty. You 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 have experienced so much that no one else can can truly understand. And there's only one way I'm going to do that. Like, 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 let me do this. Let me show you. Like, almost in a sense, like he's like, let me show you that you're not empty. That you just. It's almost like you haven't been doing right. Take it from a human who who's experiencing life as it is. And I very much relate to Christian Slater at the end of the movie. I'm like, yes, fucking take me. I I want to experience this this gloriousness with you because I've I've spent this whole movie listening to 200 years that I wasn't alive for that you got to experience. Let me see what the next 200 is going to be like. Let me let me let me watch the world unfold around me. That's what an Interview with the Vampire does. Queen of the Damned is just sort of like. You fell into a hot topic, and then you walked out of the store. Hey, hey, l- l- let's go sk- uh, sn- snore some blows, the blood, and go to a rock concert. Yeah. <laughs> but the funny part is that they both try to accomplish that same feeling of, you know, the mortal characters that you get introduced with at the very beginning under this very false impression that they can fill this void for whichever vampire they have decided they're going to latch onto or become obsessed with. Um, which I feel like is kind of its own discussion about relationships and good ways and bad ways to enter them. Uh, That's but... Left for Dread After Dark. That's a totally yeah. separate <laughs> conversation. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, totally different conversation. But it is really funny how they both try to kind of accomplish the same thing because Jesse tries to do that too. Because Jesse's like, let me be with you. Let me, because I know you want companionship. Let me be that companion for you one of those movies reaches that very successful and the other one is just like you said just jump in a hot topic take it out and there you go yeah um, i think i think also what i find different about jesse's character so i i feel the need to compare armand and jesse in these two movies even though there was an armand in queen of the damned not that you would have fucking known because they don't call him by name but it's fine i'm not going to be bitter about it even though i'm very bitter about it Armand Armand has a coven of vampires that he sort of like governs over and he lets them all die because Because they're they're they've grown decadent and weak yes even Santiago who by the way Stephen Rea did a beautiful performance that was so good so good you know that was inspired by Fred Astaire right like that whole oh yeah oh i know they they they, didn't they even use the same practical effect to accomplish that yeah they did they used the same rig they basically put him in a box and like turned the whole yeah they did the whole thing and it's it was like a giant hamster wheel Yep. but i feel the need to compare jesse and armand only because armand sort of like lestat wants 
to have Louis be beholden to him as like a mentor. Like you have questions, I'll answer them. We'll we'll go through the centuries together. You can teach me how how this new world works, and I'll 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 be there for you. I'll be like a guiding force that you didn't have. Just like Lestat had, and he even said he was like, I can answer whatever the fuck you want, but I'm not going to. Therefore, I have all the power. It's a power move. Jesse is existing in a world where she knew from the get-go she wanted to be a part of but couldn't so there was an emptiness like a void that she felt she needed to fill so meeting a, a vampire that needs companionship that will connect her to all of this fills a void for her it's not about going through the centuries and experiencing life it's about it's about fill, like filling something for like for her so she's she's parallel with armand in certain ways and and marius too they all they all all of these quote-unquote father figures in both of these movies have this thing where they're like teach me like 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 teach me the ways of this world and and i'll i'll guide you through your immortal your immortality and 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 xyz like uh... yeah which i mean for you know, characters like Armand or Marius make sense. For Jessie, it just doesn't at all. Because what she knows is from her books. Right. That's it. What would she be teaching Lestat? Nothing. But her right. her her need to be immortal is very self-serving in the same way that it is for Armand. It's yes. self-serving for him to want Louis as a companion to take him through the rest of the centuries. So mm -hmm. I didn't get I, I, I was I, I found it really hard to find Jesse's motivation. I thought she was she was just more of a really scholarly groupie, more or less. Um and like you know, she obviously she like right, you pointed out like she has this connection, she has this lineage, like her was it her birth mother or like her no, adopted it was her mother? Aunt. It was an aunt. Her aunt. I, her aunt. Her aunt, like, her, her like, great aunt or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like she's she tied to like the vampires, vampires without knowing it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get that entire subplot, honestly. Like like it I felt like it just added extra extra fluff. I felt like if you cut out like that Jesse subplot, like I I think just I think it just complicated the complicated the storylines and story threads because like it, it felt like for a significant while they like they just completely forgot about it and they only tra tracked it on or added it at the end just to like tie up loose ends um but i i know like i mean let's in terms of Lestat, like he he handles well at least with um tom cruise Lestat, he handles his immortality by like reveling in its power like he 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 tries to make him prop himself up by making himself as beautiful as possible and asserting his will and dominance over other people and like there was he was saying how like his most favorite thing to hunt is aristocrats and nobles, uh, which is really telling. But like this Lestat, like I he I don't get. I also I also didn't get this Lestat's motivations. Like he spent so much of the movie like like just being so edgy and being lamenting his existence and like lamenting like his lack of like his in his inability to escape because of immortality. So he's calling out open season on himself like during this rock. Uh, this rock phase, and then he just kind of like turns heel 
and takes it all back at the end, and then he ends up, you know, in a position of power anyway, which I felt he like he didn't earn. Like he he, he killed off uh, Alaya, uh, Arkasha, the the vampire queen, and now he's like now he can walk in the day daylight. Now he can now he's like one of the most powerful a uh, vampire agents. And it's like I don't think that Lestat deserved that position at, in the end. I think it was just it was just given to him, and he just didn't do any work, or he just got. He just went. He got. He was let off really easily. That's what. That was my thought. So. Oh no, totally. And I mean, going back to the Jesse subplot, I mean, that's kind of the problem with the whole movie, isn't it? Is that the development for any of these characters is really half baked, um, because it's seem it's focusing more on the aesthetic of what they're trying to do with Queen of the Damned and less concerned with actually writing coherent characters, um, which is why Akasha's uh, depiction in the movie pisses me off so much. She's not given terribly much to do. She's really given, I mean, sure, she has agency once, you know, she's out as a stat out from her statue self and can do things, but she doesn't have much in the way of line. She doesn't do too terribly much. We don't learn that much about her past other than what Marius tells during one scene and she's just a killing machine um which i mean yes they're all technically killing machines sure but it's still just one of those things where a lot of these characters don't really get a good amount of attention because that's not really the point or doesn't seem to be the point of the movie the point of the movie is look at how cool all of this is <laughs> that's especially so for akasha like all she does is look seductive she moves really seductively and she sets vampires on fire like that's that's her that's pretty much what she does and i and you know i i i love elias catch uh casting choice i thought she was really charming really seductive and i wish i i completely agree i wish they gave her more to do i wish we had her character fleshed out more but i and i, I and then that brings up a question like how is she characterized in the books if any of you uh have read the the og queen of the dam like what's what is she like in the books if if anyone has any insights on that oh i don't remember it's been so long since i've read them i i could not tell you i could not tell you i i don't really remember too terribly much from it either so um i think rereading these and then diving back in maybe patreon <laughs> it's an episode right. let's do it <laughs> yeah I mean, so for like the longest time, I had all like paperback versions of, of these books that I had just sitting on my shelf. And I decided one day that I wanted the like OG collection that I originally read. Like my introduction to these books was like the hard copy in the library. And I decided that I was going to buy the first four books on the say with the same like hardcover like cover art as like the original four that I found in the library and I did. And I'm ashamed to say I have not touched them since I bought them. They are perfect because I have not cracked the spine. So I have not read these books in a very long time, but they're so pretty. I've seen them. They're very pretty. Fucking stunning. If I could like have an entire collection of them, I, I will at some point. But for now, they just, they just sit on the bookshelf and they're just going to stay there. I'm not touching them. I'm not cracking the spine. I'll read it. I'll listen to the audiobook or some shit. I, I just, I need to keep them pristine. Do we have any other thoughts on Interview with the Vampire before we swing into Queen of the Damned? That beautiful trash movie. 
Because mm. it is trash. We just love it. It's elegant trash. It, it's not it's elegant. delightful trash. It's angsty trash. Yes. It's great trash. Yes. Uh, yeah, let's let's move on. No, I don't think so. Um, I mean, your comment, Ryan, about the statue like likeness of it um, took the words right out of my mouth. So, yeah, no, I don't have anything else to say on it. So, that, I think... Here's we'll, statues. The, the, yes. We'll... We'll we'll sort of now segue into into Queen of the Damned. I'm still gonna I still find myself comparing the two list up performances because I remember the first time I saw Queen of the Damned. He said his name was Lestat, but I I was confused. I was like, are are we sure this is Lestat and not Louis? Because he sounds like Louis, like he's whining like Louis. Like the very beginning, he says, immortality seems like a good idea until you realize you're going to spend it alone. We know that there is a loneliness aspect to Lestat. We see it in interview. But he seems to crave his mortality. He like, whereas like Tom Cruise's Lestat, no, no. Tom Cruise's Lestat is a lot more eccentric. Um, Tom Cruise's Lestat is a lot less caring about his, you know, human connection at all i mean yes he absolutely wants company but it's on his own terms and it has to be in this kind of grandiose fashion right whereas i mean sure they keep some of that with queen of the damned like marius points out that he's able to find Lestat because all he had to do was look for the you know the most gauche house in the neighborhood so sure <laughs> they're they kept elements but you know they kept elements of that, but you know, right? You're you're right. Uh, the Lestat in Queen of the Damned is much more like Louis, and I don't think it's just Townsend's performance. I think it's also how the character's written. Yeah. Um, in the movie, uh, you know, he's just he's suddenly a lot more emotive and depressing and whiny, frankly. Uh, uh-huh. Whereas the you know Tom Cruise version of Lestat wouldn't be caught whining to you know to save his life. It's just no, um, he's going to drink up life and enjoy it and soak it all in and consequences be damned. I think the one can consistent- I guess that kind of does by deciding to join a rock band and be public, but there's still that white <laughs> <Yeah>. aspect. <laughs> I think the one consistency that that they have is Lestat's relationship with Marius in yes. that there isn't really one. Louis even asks Lestat in an interview with the vampire someone made you so like don't like didn't the like didn't the person that like make you help you understand all of these things and Lestat didn't have I think that's also what frustrated him about Louis is that he wanted to make someone who would just have blind faith and loyalty and not ask questions the way he had to he was literally according to Lestat he was abandoned by his maker his maker didn't answer any questions didn't leave him with anything and he had to fend for himself. There was he had no one but himself. So that's why he is the way he is. And they hearken back to that in Queen of the Dam. There is a moment where Marius and Lestat are sitting in front of Lestat's crotch on in Hollywood, like up on a painter's like thing. That Can't help but so notice much. it's 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 Stuart Townsend's crotch, but you know that's okay. And he even says to him. Marius is trying to say, like, you have things in the world. And he's like, I don't have anything. You taught me that. There is no one else. It shows that there isn't, uh, like, a real relationship between the two of them. So at least they kept that. Like, he even says to him, it's a little late to be paternal now, isn't it? You fucking left me to deal with my own shit. 
There are so many daddy issues. There's so <laughs> many daddy issues. Oh, that's what we should call the episode, Daddy Issues. Daddy. No, yeah. let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I'm editing it. <laughs> call it Daddy Issues. Um, but like, it, it's it's sort of like Lestat sort of flip-flops between ne- having this need for this connection with people but at the same time, he's telling Marius, I have no one but myself. You taught me that. It's like, was that supposed to be your she's nod? She's being melodramatic. She's being like- but was it melodramatic? Or was, I mean, obviously it was very melodramatic, but was it also like the only way they could find a way to tie into Lestat, to the to Tom Cruise's Lestat? Was I have no one else? That was it? Again, this, uh, uh, I mean, this Lestat is it's a pastiche and it's so different and i i they're completely different individuals and it's as if, it's as if like the writers couldn't decide on a on a narrative core or narrative arc or or they they, they just maybe they wrote themselves into a corner um because it's just pendulums from one side to the other and it's like it's like it just seems so jarring especially at the end where suddenly he um he like when he turns his when he turns his back on akasha is like you were you you were spending like three quarters of this movie like calling out to her or, or just like or asking for death or asking for companionship uh and then you develop this fondness for mortals of just I mean, like you know beyond you know them being just cattle like i what's going on in your head i don't know yeah <laughs> i mean like there's that whole scene with Jesse where he says to her, you're beautiful because you're fragile. Lestat, and I will go again to the, to the beginning of interview with the vampire where he says, um, and I wrote it down because it always, it always strikes such a chord with me whenever I hear him say this evil is a point of view. God kills indiscriminately. And so shall we for no creatures under God are as we are none. So like him, as ourselves he puts himself in the image of god in that he has given himself permission to kill indiscriminately because he can because he holds that power this lestat is like louis in the sense that he's like i'm doing this because i have to but i lack the enjoyment in it so when he's with jesse and jesse's like i'm not as innocent as you think tom cruise's lestat would have done one of two things turned her because he admired her vivacity or he would have said yeah sure i'll do it and just killed her and left her there this lestat turns around and says in a very dramatic way i'm going to be a monster to you because i want to push you away even though i want your companionship (laughs) (laughs) so i'm gonna be very charlotte bronte (laughs) i'm gonna be the worst part of myself so that you can stay the fuck away from me and it backfires completely so would a lot of these problems that we have with queen of the dead just be solved if we just rename this lestat louis like like, yeah yeah i feel like it would (laughs) probably because he's he's very much acting like louis now again i haven't read queen of the damned in a very long time or interviewed the vampire there is an there is it's unlikely but there is a very small possibility that there could be some truth to that portrayal it's probably very tiny minuscule might not even be there because <laughs> i mean I was about to, yeah i mean and sure it is an absolute possibility that 
Lestat could have lost his thirst for indiscriminate killing in, you know, much the same way that apparently previous ancients had before and thus were, you know, returned to dust. But they don't address that in the movie at all, if that's the case. I mean, it, it even contradicts itself a little bit, especially at the beginning when he takes such enjoyment on his first meal after a hundred years, right? He's just like, just very indiscriminate, just a random dude, chomp, chomp, chomp. Ah, this is great. And just seems to, and then, you know, wa walks right into the rehearsal and is that, you know, eccentric, lively, you know, list out that we usually imagine to be. And then all of a sudden we go back to Louis. I do. The the one the one thing that I have is while I do agree with you that there are some parts of the Jesse storyline that I think don't make sense. If we don't have the Jesse storyline, we don't get Marius. And then we don't get David. And we don't get the David Marius relationship. I want a Marius David <laughs> movie. I want it. I want it. I want it. <laughs> I know, but without Jesse, you don't get that. So like she goes to the Telemuscab and I'm I'm telling you it's because it's this it's the self self-serving I need to feel connected to this thing that was there. Without that, we don't have David, we don't get Lestat's journal, we don't get Marius painting, we don't get Akasha and the statues and the whole nine. The thing that irks me and maybe because they didn't explain it in the movie maybe they explain it in the books is akasha lost her will to to take human life they became living statues so how long does that take because lestat says he was asleep quote unquote until the world sounded different why didn't he turn into a statue marius slept through the entire 50s why didn't he turn into a stat? I'm so like, the lore is all over the place and it's never really explained except for the fact that vampires still have powers in both of these movies, which is fine. Like, we can deal yeah. with that. It, it's the power plot armor. Like, I mean, you, I guess you could say that uh, Akasha, like, you know, she was reigning during the ancient Egypt, so it might take like thousands of years, it might take millennia. I mean, they don't really explain a lot about the the rules or you know the biology of it very much it's something it's just something like oh yeah uh look something flashy over here don't ignore ignore all that logic here here's here's the start playing and playing in guitar with leather pants you know <laughs> which lots I'll of misdirection week right but even even the way they hunt is also sort of done differently there was no consistency, which is why I really truly appreciate when they say it's a loose adapt a loose adaptation to the se like of a sequel because it really is because they I don't think they, they couldn't make up their mind as to what they wanted to do and how they wanted to portray all of this stuff. It felt like there was like three different movies going on. Yeah, it was. And then you get to the musical, and that's just like a whole whirlwind of bullshit that I don't even know what the fuck they want. I I don't know. No one knew. No one knows. I don't even think the people It'll that watched that show knew what the fuck was going on. Mm -mm. But that's okay. All that being said, I don't hate Queen of the Damned. I love that movie, yeah, but I it's mean, trash. Yeah, I mean, despite all these I criticisms. I love it because it's trash. Yeah, right, exactly. It's like Blair Witch <laughs> 2, it's trash. But I love it, clearly. It is, it is, it, it is, it's just, it's extra 
but a different flavor than interview with a vampire and like yeah we could rip it apart we have plenty of criticisms but like it still has this strange charm and uh it's just yeah it's just sensual and still erotic and we're all of that age we all grew up in like the mtv era and we all went through that that phase of like emo goth phase and like some of us we like you know i i i am low to even say it's a phase because some you know that's just us that's just describes us i was to gonna say thing. we never we never we never grew up from it <laughs> we're still here baby dresses. as an adult i have dresses from killstar which is like your adult goth central i have dresses from killstar like sitting in my closet right now i just like i i get to be more me no but like it's it's queen of the so interview the vampire felt like quintessential goth realness queen of the damn felt like someone tripped and fell into a hot topic and walked out wearing like a little bit of everything oh yeah i'm still like for me i'm an aesthetic goth like and i'm not mad at it (laughs) i'm excited god i look like one of the most cheerful people you could ever meet but like i just wear like black black and black combat boots and like you know like that's like your natural state of being. I mean, I'm the most it comfortable is. when I'm wearing a leather jacket and my fake leather leggings that I may or may not use for a certain cosplay that I do every year. <laughs> I'm like, shocked. I, what, what could you possibly mean? I don't know. I have no idea. I'm just talking out of my ass. It's the wine. No. Um. <laughs> but yeah, like, it's such trash. But it's like it's, it's wonderful trash. It's wonderful trash. Like, can we also talk about the fact that like the soundtrack was Ugh. everything for 2002? Was everything? You got you got your cord, <laughs> you got your nails, you got disturbed, you got everything. <laughs> also, the lead singer of Corn is in the movie. Like, I confirmed yes. that when I was still watching Very it. Very cool. He's the scalper that tries to sell Jesse tickets. I like looked at him and oh, I was like, that's I, right. Oh my God. I was like, wait a minute. The lead singer of Corn makes a cameo in this? What the fuck is happening? That soundtrack awoke so much in, in Teenage Me. It was just, oh God, that's. <laughs> I can't. I still, I still couldn't get over it. <laughs> Remember when, when cable TV used to still play music videos you know and mtv mtv was actually still about music and not reality tv and And not catfishing what a time Uh, capsule (laughs) i know and that's the other thing is like i i feel like interview with the vampire is just as eternal as the vampires they portray because that will literally like live forever and the tagline for that movie is drink from me and live forever so it's like watch this once and and live forever in this universe and in this world but queen of the dams is very much like a time capsule because the world is not like that anymore even like the goth scene isn't really like that anymore except for maybe the way jesse is dressed at the end of the movie maybe maybe that and I mean, that's kind of funny. And Lestat's like whole outfit while he was on stage, I absolutely ran to a shop near my parents' place called Gothic Renaissance looking for that shirt. And Trash and Vaudeville when it was open. Hell yeah. Oh, Trash and Vaudeville. <laughs> so like, it, it's, it very much is that like time, Chris is right, it's very much like a time capsule movie. It, it's, it's weird to think though that movie is now technically a period piece. It is a period piece. Queen of the oh, Dance. It is. <laughs> You yes. know why? Because we're not allowed to go to concerts anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please practice social distancing. 
be like Lestat. Like, go hug a friend and then fly 60 feet into the air so you can be away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my uh, god. I okay. think like I just I just hate how angsty and they made they made Lestat in this movie. He's very Louis. Like who else oh so dramatically goes to contemplate their eternal existence and how lonely they are sitting on top of a fucking satellite. <laughs> yes. Yep. It's such a natural progression. Like I can see Tom Cruise Lestat walk in while this Lestat's like writing out his song lyrics, and then Tom Cruise Lestat is like what the hell? And he just he just trashed the entire entire studio. Like, more of this shit. Stop. Like, where's the Lestat I fell in love with that picked up a corpse and danced with it? Where's that Lestat? I need that. There's still life in the old lady left. Yeah, like, yes, yes. This Lestat would not do that, and it breaks my heart. I just want to see like a, like an outtake or like a deleted scene of this Lestat going going to the shopping mall because malls were were big in, the, in like early two thousands and then just trying to trying to pick out his outfits. <laughs> Does this shade of black or this shade of black bring out my eyes? You know. Yeah, and how like yeah, his his big saucer his big saucer eyes like especially once they all get that like hint of blood. And it becomes like a feeding frenzy. Yeah. And they all all their eyes turn into just like like big black saucers. They didn't even Whatever realize they're smoking. something. I'll take it, you know? <laughs> like I'll take some. <laughs> the one so I know we talked about some of the problematic things with Interview with the Vampire. The biggest problematic thing that I have with Queen of the Damned was the way they, they killed off Akasha. Because yeah, Aaliyah like died. Yeah, Aaliyah died. Well, it's not just a cop out. It's also like Aaliyah died in 2001 and she died in a plane crash. So, and how does Akasha look when she's dying? Like she's burnt to a fucking crisp? Uh, I just think they did her so dirty oh. for that. Of all the things you could do, that's how you choose. It just, it, re it really rubs me the wrong way. It still rubs me the wrong way. It's like, Fucking really? Wait, did did Elijah die during post production of this movie? I think so. I think okay. so. Yeah, mm. she died. I think she died in post. But also, like, I I know we should on interview with the vampire for have for for having lack of diversity. We can sort of give them a little bit of kudos for the two Hispanic actors that you see later in the movie. But there is no diversity in in any of Queen of the Damned, with the exception of Aaliyah. And look what they do to her. So like, oh, yeah. And then the um the first guy the stock kills happened to be like some African American. Uh, oh my god, you're right. Punk rocker, yep. yeah. I'm trying yep. to remember. Yep, it was the first. Yep, it's for first pedestrian he kills is a black man, and then uh, I think the only other black actor we get is one of the vampires who tries to kill Lestat during the concert, and he dies too. And he dies too. Yep. So, like, give us black queer vampires in this new <laughs> AMC. Black queer vampires, do it. Do so it. I, I've never, I've never seen True Blood. I mean, there. I mean, is, is there, is there like a black vampire character there? Or eventually, I, yeah. Eventually. I mean, because here and here's and that's the other thing. I feel like it's sort of an excuse almost. Is um, True Blood takes place in the South, 
So there's still a lot of like very evident racism and stuff like that. There's a whole beautiful scene where Lafayette, who's African-American, rest in peace, Nelson Ellis, is the cook at the diner. And the burger gets returned by a bunch of homophobic Southern assholes that say they don't want an AIDS burger. And there's this whole, because he's black and he's gay, and there's this whole beautiful scene where he goes off on him. And it's great. But there isn't a ton of diversity in that show either. And they sort of use the fact that it's taking place in the South and the fact that racism is still very rampant and real as like an excuse. But they also use like vampires coming out of the coffin as like a whole allegory for the way people view people of different races and and the LGBTQ community and a whole bunch of other shit. So it's sort of like they use it as like an excuse to not address it. Um so like yeah, there are black vampires, but they're not really there. I mean, well, <laughs> I'm surprised now. I'm thinking about it. Like this movie came out in 2002. Blade, yeah. I think, came out the year before, and Blade was such a huge hit. But even like even so, even looking at it this way, the vampires that they're portraying go go trace through their lineage and where they were born and and where they're from. They're not going to be white. If they pick a white guy to turn, that's a different story. But these people are not going to be white. And I think that that, says, that sets a precedent. And I think that says a lot about how you portray these, these characters on film. Which is why I'm kind of hoping that they're, that as much as I would love like a gender-bent queer fest, I, I, I would like a little bit for, the, for AMC to sort of stick to the original source material. Because I know for shit sure that a lot of these older vampires are not white people. And that is okay, and it, it would just be, oh, it would just be, it would be so good if they if they did that. I mean, like, well, especially they, since think... there's a lack of diversity in most vampire films to begin with, I'm really hard pressed to think of one that is. I mean, besides Blade, Wesley Snipes is yeah. Black. Besides Blade, I don't really know. Yeah, so I th- it's you know, I mean, it's a general problem in the entertainment industry, period. But it's also a problem with the genre. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, there was Blackula with Eddie Murphy, but <laughs> see, I, I'm 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 mad now because like Queen of the Damned had a perfect opportunity. They had they cast Elias, and she's she was an icon, and you know they were playing into like Egypt is like the mother of civilization, and you know she's the she's the queen of vampires, like like you know um I mean well I guess they. Maybe whether it was intentional or purposeful, like they they wrote they wrote Alia to be this sadistic vampire. She just she she fed on immortals and mortals alike. So maybe like, but still like I think that was uh, you you could there was there was uh, there was uh, you had your in you had Alia, the her, the queen. You could have had introduced a lot more African American or just like uh, or or just vampires of of color. Uh, and then and then it, it would have. I mean, because, like, vampires are, you know, they're, in terms of, like, the myth, like, there's, vampires show up in, in, in myth and urban legends and culture everywhere. There's, like, the Changxi, like, the Chinese vampire, for example, you know, and uh, when are we going to see one of those? I just think that there's so much opportunity that they won't, that they won't go into. Lord only knows why. So I guess uh, this this leads me to a, a a question. So I mean, this all started because AMC bought the rights. And what are your projections? What are your hopes? And what do you want to see out of 
this AMC adaptation or any future. I mean, I know we touched this a bit before. I I would personally love like the gender bend uh, angle. Like, but like, what 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 would you love to see in any future iteration, especially this AMC uh, adaptation? A gender bent queer diverse show, especially when it comes to people who like Akasha are supposed to be from Egypt. Like, like just be as semi-historically accurate as you can. If these people aren't supposed to be white, they're not white. Don't make them white. That's really even like, if they're supposed thing. to be white, they don't have to stay. Like, they don't just have, also like, make it more diverse. Like, who yeah. historical accuracy on that front? Be damned too. Like, just they're make vampires. It more diverse. They're, they're vampires. Also, they could be. You're right. They're <laughs> vampires. This is this is sort of like up for anything. Like, oh, I really don't give a fuck. But um, yeah, I just I I mean, let's. If I'm being really honest, I just want it to be a whole hell of a lot gayer than it was in the '90s, and that's it. That's like. Make it gayer. I mean, heck, I mean, get some non-binary vampires, get some genderqueer, like, shit in there. Like, I, yeah, it's just make it gayer, make it queerer, make it more diverse. Just make it gay, you cowards. Just, right? yeah. I mean, I, I know that we, I, I just think that in a time where, especially on, on other episodes, Chris and I talk about the fact that sometimes a remake or a reboot isn't always necessary. And sometimes you're fine with what the original has paved the way for. Um, I think that, and we say that mostly because there are so many original ideas that are out there that people just won't take a chance on. So they stick with something that they know might do, that has a higher probability of doing well. So they'll reboot something in a modern way. I really have to hope that Anne Rice selling the rights to, to these properties is her sort of like relinquishing control in a way. Like, I trust you with these characters, do whatever the fuck you want with them. And that AMC will do the right thing and have diverse representation. Because in all honesty, Supernatural are not, there's nothing more satisfying than watching something on television that you can find, you can relate to, have that added level of, I really relate to this because I feel represented, even as something Supernatural on screen. So I haven't watched like AMC stuff in a while. So I don't know what's their what what's their recent programming like. I know I think they're doing like the what's that the the Joe Hill Nosferatu show. They I mean, did like, Zachary Quinto. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, but, I, but I know like for Walking Dead. I mean Walking Dead's still going on, and I feel like Walking Dead has a fairly okay record of you know trying to keep the cast diverse. Walking Dead also has like two whole separate shows that are like an expanded universe of The Walking Dead. And I know that in this new show that they have, um, Nico Tortorella uh, is a genderqueer actor. They them pronouns very out, open, and proud of themselves. Their character in the show is genderqueer and identifies with they them pronouns. And the show stuck to that. Oh, hell yeah. Well, good for it. Well, that's awesome. And I haven't seen it, but I know it's happening. And I think that that is so beautiful and just like a really, really awesome step in the right direction. So if AMC can do that with one character, you can do that with a whole fucking show. Especially because, like we've said, it's not, they're, it's not, it, it's representing reality, but it's representing a version of reality. Vampires are real. So what better way to sort of put this on screen than to say we're in a world of vampires that that's already fantastical enough 
we're going to throw everything in there, whether you like it or not. This is, this is representation. This is what the fucking world needs right now. Just, just don't be a coward. Just do it. Just fucking do it. And it would also be great too, to just kind of reclaim the homophobia that existed in vampire literature for so long. Right. Just like take it back and just make it your own. That's, that's what underrepresented, upper, underrepresented communities do best. Um, so let's reclaim that shit and make it better. And gayer. And we need more and black. We need more fishnets. <laughs> we need, we need more poofy true. shirts. We, <laughs> yes. That's also what I'm kind of hoping happens with the new Candyman movie is that they sort of take back the underlying very obvious racism that was in the first one. But it was more of like a commentary on racism in the first one. Um, I'm kind of hoping that they take that back in a way. And and so I have high hopes for the new Candyman for that reason. So I have to hope that AMC sort of explores this with this unbridled sense of pride. And they're like, yeah, we're fucking doing this. You don't have to watch the show if you don't like it. Fuck off. There are plenty of people that I think we'll get into that. So that's that's my hope for it. AMC seems to be doing better, so it's fine. Yeah, I think we'll I think happens. yeah, I think AMC is a good steward. Mm-hmm. Uh, so better than that... Hulu, I think. I think Hulu tries, but sometimes teeters along that line of like, "Hey, look, we're trying to be forward thinking," and they throw it in your face, and it's sort of like, "Okay, yeah, but that's not that's not real." But yeah, okay, sure. It's like pandering. So I think that AMC is the better choice, and. I feel more hopeful, especially considering the fact that when this was supposed to be being done through Hulu, Jared Leto was in talks to be Lestat. Uh, I, I know this is not SMP, but I say it again. Stop giving Jared Leto genre properties. Stop. He already was is is Morbius, so like yeah. I don't, that's bad enough. Just stop it. No, Jared stop. Was Hollywood, stop. Stop, stop enabling stop Jared Leto. Stop, stop, stop. It's just it's... hiring him, period. I'm sorry. Like, just stop. I just think that this holds, this just opens the world up to so much other shit. I know there were talks for a while. Marvel was, or maybe it was DC. I gotta be honest, I don't fucking know. Um, was doing a deaf superhero and hired a deaf actor to play a deaf superhero. Hmm. great yeah cool so like yes it's the little things you know and i hate that that we even should ha- feel the need to celebrate that because it just it just seems like so obvious that that's what the obvious choice should be so like amc as a fan i have full faith in you don't fuck this up this is a beloved property to so many no pressure but don't fuck this up i think i think when am uh, when AMC started doing syndicated TV. I think they've always been well. They well. I think they've tried their best to be. Yeah. Uh, tried to honor that. So I. Th- I think. I think the true test is who they're going to get to write it. Yep. I think that'll be that'll be telling as well. Who knows? Maybe it'll be Jordan Peele. That would be hey, great. Uh, Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele's like a he's a Renaissance great. man. 
I yeah. if it's Jordan Peele that writes it and the woman who directed the new Candyman movie directs the episodes, I feel like we're golden. Let's have a hashtag. Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele right? vampire. I'll I'll start that hashtag right now. <laughs> I just I feel like we're golden at that point. But again, like all in all, we wouldn't be able to be having these conversations. Forgetting if Anne Rice never wrote the books, if we didn't have the movies to look back on and be able to have these kinds of conversations to begin with, we we wouldn't be fighting for AMC to what we're saying is do the right thing, which is just to do the human thing. So I love both of these movies, like just for so many reasons, but for on top of all of that, like they set a precedent on how we can sort of build on the universe and build on how we represent things on screen. And, you know, I feel like if Neil Jordan hadn't directed it, I know Anne Rice says that he was bold in portraying how evil they are. He also portrayed how pretty fucking gay they are. So like, let, yes. let's just call it like it is for a hot second. But yeah. So thank you. I blame Neil Jordan in the best way possible. Thanks, Neil Jordan, for hey, Neil Jordan <laughs> for Neil Jordan. beautiful queerness on screen, intentional or otherwise. So oh, it, I mean, I'm it. sorry. Brad Pitt almost kissed. I like Louis almost kissed Armand at the very end. I that come on now, it, not not intentional. Mm. That. Let's call it what it is. Can we go back in time and make sure Brad Pitt makes out with Antonio Banderas? Because that's great. <laughs> the, the, the thing, the thing of it is, is everyone kept commenting on how beautiful Louis was, and they're all men that kept saying that. Mm. Oh yeah, I agree. Louis is very, is very, pre- he's very pretty. Beautiful, but it's always Antonio Banderas is doing things to me. Like, oh my god, mm. <laughs> right though. And like, he just he admired so much about him that what more than just his surface beauty but let's be honest it was on the surface is what attracted him in the first place i think like antonio banderas antonio banderas as armand says a lot of shit to louis but i love his line that says um your fall from grace has been the fall of the century like he's been falling for that long from his grace of mortality and it only adds, what a stalker, what a creeper. <laughs> right? But it only adds to his beauty that he sees in him. So, like, <laughs> just say it. <laughs> 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 <sighs> My babies. My beautiful gay babies. <laughs> uh, so gay, so beautiful. I love them all so much. I think that's a. A perfect way to end this episode. So I was do you wanna, say, do we have any other notes? Like, uh, I guess we should we should give us some ratings. Uh, oh yeah, okay, yeah. we'll do that. Let's, yeah. Chris, you want to kick off the ratings? So, interview with a vampire. I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it five out of five porcelain dolls because, like, I so I get this is my first my first viewing. Um, I think I was just enraptured and just by how compelling the story was like the production the visuals the size the practical effects um there was so much pathos there was so much there was so much going on and um you know i i feel like i like i feel like i didn't really have a chance to i i felt like i didn't really see see anything wrong like oh well, except for like the racism some of the parts that are like problematic 
but I think overall, overall, like I just had a very fun experience. Equal parts drama and horror. It was a lot more comedic than I was expecting, uh, especially like Tom Cruise. Um, you know, just just, 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 just being being up to eleven. Uh, it was great. Uh, Queen of the Damned. I would give it a two and a half out of five vampire statues. There, we were we were giving it okay maybe a three okay maybe three statues okay because like there's a lot there was a lot that I picked apart about it. I mean, me too, but I still love it. I still no no that being none, but that being said, like I still loved how extra it was. I still love the spectacle. I love how it was a time capsule. I love how grungy but the parts that that i feel like i can't and can't forgive is just like the storytelling or the, the some parts of the writing are just so inconsistent it really takes me away it really breaks me out of the immersion um just like for example just the fact that this Alistair, like his motivations are just so unclear the the jesse subplot i felt like it was not developed and like how how criminally underused like akasha or alaya was and that, but that being said i still enjoyed the movie i still think it's 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 fun i think it's a, a spectacle for a different reason but i don't think queen of the damned is a movie that i i'll find myself like watching on repeat over and over put it's a stake through my heart stay through the heart i'm, I'm not offended heart. <laughs> well, thank no, you sarah I say, <laughs> I say that because i give them both five out of fives for totally different reasons five out of five for interview the vampire just because of what it did to me when i was a kid five out of five because even though queen of the damned is total fucking trash i still love it so much because it is a time capsule because every single time i watch it i find myself totally fucking rocking out to the soundtrack i listen to it on repeat afterwards i was listening to it before we started recording i just it's trash but it's my trash and it's never, it's, I'm never going to change how I feel about that movie. Especially so you're saying like, we're going to start a rock, uh, a vampire rock band coven? Because I'm yeah, down for that. 100%. Yes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like watching, watching everybody on screen in an interview with the vampire made me more open-minded and more understanding that there's all kinds of love in the universe, whether again, intentional or not. Like I didn't like just like everybody else in the rest of the world in an interview, I didn't bat an eyelash when there were two guys and a kid. I was like, all right, that's cool. Some people have two dads, whatever. And growing up, that wasn't really a thing yet. Like in the 90s, we were still sort of dealing with like this whole aftermath of, of, of AIDS and, and homophobia. And, and there's still plenty of that. Don't get me wrong. We haven't eradicated that in any sense. But I didn't see an issue with it. So that opened my eyes to that possibility, vampire or no, people are allowed to have whoever they have as parents. Who gives a shit? But... <laughs> In 2002, Queen of the Damned did something for my queer little heart when I was like, I want to be sandwiched between Jesse and Lestat at the same time. What is this called? <laughs> and like, <laughs> I have to give both of these movies five out of five for like doing something to me as a person. So they both earned five out of five for me. I just, yeah. I hope you can get that sandwich one day. <laughs> I'm married now. I doubt it. I missed uh, my mark. <laughs> just a scotch. <laughs> just a scotch. <laughs> Queen of the Damned. I, listen, I, I I love trash, 
trash is still trash. So I, I'm uh, kind of with with Chris trash. on the like on like the two out of five like leather pants. Like I just um, <laughs> yeah. that's the best rating system. I, I I still love the movie. I I love it. I love it to bits. It is still trash. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so that you know, I can still acknowledge that it's trash and still love it. Interview with a Vampire, I mean, I guess a 4.5, maybe a 5 on a good day. I just, I, I, I guess on my second viewing, I just couldn't get over some of the really problematic stuff that I just hadn't uh, noticed when I last watched it years ago. So it kind of took me aback a bit and it took me out of the movie a little bit just because I didn't remember those things. And it, um, I kind of had to pause the movie for a second and really think about it. But that's a me uh so but yeah so maybe four or four out of five porcelain dolls and i i th- i want to end it on one last question we're recording this and this is releasing dracula day which is tuesday may 26 and obviously there's so much vampire adjacent movies and pieces of fiction in general what what's everyone's favorite v- pieces of vampire fiction or vampire uh you know media Oh, I was not prepared for this question. Fuck. <laughs> well, Dracula Day. We we, we, we we gotta we gotta you know. I, I'm very curious. I can start if you if, if you, you start. Yeah, you start. So um, I'm very very fond of this. Uh, it's kind of like an antithesis to uh, Interview with a Vampire. Uh, when you think about it, um, it's a comic book series which was also adapted into a horror film by Ben Templesmith. It's called Thirty Days of Night. It is. It is so good. I keep talking about this all the time. So a vampire coven invades Barrow, Alaska, this super remote town in Alaska where during part of the year, the sun sets and doesn't rise for 30 days. These vampires, they cut off every line of communication, every way in and out of the town, and survivors have to fend for themselves for an entire month uh, by these bloodthirsty vampires, which are they are portrayed as like great white sharks in human skin and it's so bloody so good the other piece of vampire fiction uh it's a anime movie that it's based on a very long running series of like night light novels uh it's called vampire hunter d um it is i'm talking about this movie called vampire hunter d bloodlust uh where it is like equal parts like the action of Blade meets the pathos and melodrama of Interview with a Vampire. Uh, and the main character is, his name is D. He's a damn fierce, half vampire, half human. Uh, and he's taken on this, or he's hired for a job to rescue uh, the daughter of a nobleman who's in love with a vampire lord. And oh my gosh, like it is such an incredible piece of animation and, it's, and such a good story. I remember watching that for the first time in high school and it, like it changed my life. It was great. Um, so the, I would recommend, those are my recommendations for, for Dracula Day. And uh, Sarah, how about you? I'm going to go with uh, one thing that I have read and one thing that I haven't seen yet, but I'm excited to, and I'll probably uh, watch that for Dracula Day. Um, these are both newer pieces that I recommend folks pay attention to. The first thing I'm going to recommend is actually a comic that was recommended to me uh, by someone and I can't stop obsessing over it. It's called When I Arrived at the Castle. Um, It's a comic by Emily Carroll. Uh, It's basically a 
scary but very sexy lesbian vampire comic um and it's kind of that perfect combination of super gay but also still scary and creepy and it doesn't really romanticize the the relationship too terribly much but it's still it's still that really great queer content that i i always want more of so definitely take a read at that uh it's really really freaking good and the art's really wonderful too is that an indie publisher or is that like image comics or i believe it's an indie publisher um i believe it is i could be wrong though so definitely correct me if i'm wrong on that but i do believe that's an indie publisher but yeah when i arrived at the castle is really really cool stuff i love it uh thank you emily carroll for making that the movie that i'm probably gonna watch on dracula day because i've been wanting to watch this is called bit uh it's a basically brand spanking new uh vampire movie it features a, a trans girl a teenage girl who stumbles upon a female vampire coven who um with a very feminist agenda and i haven't i haven't watched it i haven't seen it yet so i can't really review it but it's something i've been, been really excited to sit down and watch and it's Another one of those things that it looks like it's really kind of pushing the envelope uh, for what vampire movies can look like. I'm really excited to see it. So on Dracula Day, I don't know. I just feel like there are so many vampire movies that have impacted my life overall that I feel like I would have a really hard time sort of narrowing down just one. I mean, between Fright Night and Byzantium and, and 30 Days of Night and all this good shit. I still think I won't be able to celebrate properly without watching Interview with the Vampire. And I can't just watch Interview with the Vampire by itself. I have to watch it follow with Queen of the Damned right afterwards. I, I have to. Um, I've never been able to watch each of those like separately. They always go together. But I think a not super overly romanticized, beautiful, like vampiric relationship that I've seen portrayed on film that portrays it in like a very human, like a realistic human way is Only Lovers Left Alive with Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston. And they both have their issues and they still seem very human in the way they behave and the way they think. They're just, they're not. So I think that that is a beautiful thing. And most recently, the Dracula series that the BBC came out with that I ate up so quickly. I loved it. I just, he, he wanted, he wanted to be with the Jonathan Harker character in a way that wasn't necessarily predatory. He was like, he was kind of like Lestat in a way where he was in awe of him. And he was like, I was so wrong about you. Fuck, I need to be with this person. And 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 it was just, it was this yearning. And it again, it didn't feel, it didn't come across as like a predatory in any way. He just was like very genuinely attracted to this person. Um, I say that, and yet I'll probably watch as many fucking vampire movies as I can get my hands on. Like I'll probably watch The Lost Boys and Near Dark because who doesn't need vampire cowboys? Like... <laughs> from dusk till dawn i just think that i'll watch them all i can't pinpoint just one well i mean you should take off for dracula day and just just i just... wish 
Dracula Day is a national holiday. Let's do it. <laughs> national holiday for the rest of us to, you know, go out and eat everybody. So, you know, let me have the day off. Yeah, I think I think it, a vampire movie that sort of like went under the radar a little bit was only Lovers Left Alive. A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. It's an Iranian film. It's beautiful. Let the right one in. That's a oh, good one. Oh, that's a good one. Also, if you want to see vampire lit done in a completely different way, read the play version. Read it, read it, read it. That live stage production was one of the best things I've ever seen on stage, period. Uh, read that script. It's it's amazing what they what that show is able to do on stage because usually you don't think about vampire literature and plays. Read it. It's really good. And if you're in, and if you're feeling in a particular kind of mood and you would like to, you know, suffer, find a find a way to uh to watch the Lestat musical. <laughs> Cause that's unique as all hell. So yeah. Everyone celebrate the way you're gonna celebrate, but there's just there's so much vampire awesomeness out there. So just do something. I think for me, I really, really want to, I, I never watched the film or the film or, or the I love Taika Waititi. I haven't done this yet, but I, sh- yes. I feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna binge. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna try to. So that's my homework assignment for Jack. It's hilarious. I love what we do in the shadows. It's so good. The movie was so good. The show, I fucking love how ridiculous the show is. It's ridiculous in the best way. I love that show. I think it got renewed for like season three or something like that. Yes. Very exciting. Super excited. Uh, Okay. Well, I think with that, I think it's a good, I think, um, you know, I hope everyone has a safe and wonderful and terrifying Dracula day. And uh, again, I want to thank Sarah, Sarah, for being our super amazing, super, uh, super amazing guest host. Uh, Sarah, uh, before we uh, check out, uh, uh, do you have any last thoughts, or if, or do you, where can people find you on the interwebs, or uh, what is your final message uh, to everyone who's listening on Dracula Day? Thank you two so much for inviting me on. This was super, super fun. Uh, I enjoy it. Uh, thank you. Um, and I guess if you want to follow me on uh, social media, um, my Twitter handle is um, SAHWebs. If you want to find me on there, um, whatever content floats your boat. And yeah, that's it. Just enjoy yourself and watch some fucking horror movies today. Yeah. Yes. On that note, uh, thank you for listening to another episode of Left for Dread. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Everything helps. You can listen to us on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify every Friday. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Left for Dread Pod. You can find us on Facebook, and you can check us out on our website at leftfordread.com. Yep, and uh, we hope you enjoy this bonus episode. We still, uh, we're, we're going back on a reg- regular posting schedule, so we'll have uh, another episode later uh, later this week, so stay tuned, uh, get excited, uh, have fun, stay safe out there, and don't forget, stay, stay dreadful! dreadful.